Hello, this is Digital Accessibility, the people behind the progress. I'm Joe Walensky, the creator and host of this series. And as an accessibility professional myself, I find it very interesting as to how others have found their way into this profession. So let's meet one of those people right now and hear about their journey. All right, well, we're ready for another podcast where I get to talk with an accessibility practitioner. And today I am pleased to be speaking with Joanne Lastord. Hello, Joanne, how are you today? I am terrific, thank you. Well, I'm talking from my home office on Vashon Island, uh, which is near Blink's headquarters in Seattle. Uh, where are you talking to us from? All the way on the other side of the country. Um, I live in Tacoma Park, which is right outside of Washington, D.C. Um, I am in my corner office as well, and I look out onto a state park, so I'm enjoying all the leaves changing colors right now. Very nice. And so is that uh, on the, uh, in Maryland then? Yes, on the Maryland side. Well, it's uh, great to be able to have this chance to uh, chat with you and uh, a good place always to start is, uh, you know, just for you to, you know, briefly introduce uh, where you're working at, what types of things you're involved with today. I work for Booz Allen Hamilton, which is a huge company and worldwide. I currently am working on a contract for the Department of Labor. Um, we set up their Section 508 program office. They're a big agency and within the agency, there are multiple smaller ones like OSHA, most people know. Um, there's one for veterans, Women's Bureau, uh, multiple things. Um, compliance, you know, for contractors to the government, they have to follow their rules. So there's about 26 smaller agencies. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a big job being the program office for all of them. And Booz Allen Hamilton certainly is a, a really large uh, consulting and contracting organization. Um, is your work as uh, an accessibility specialist, is that represented within uh, Booz Allen Hamilton, or is that something that you specifically uh, got involved in for the Department of Labor project work? Um, I'm part of the Booz Allen Section 508 team. It's fairly small. Um, we don't do a lot of work um, inside the company. We mostly work with federal agencies like um, the Veterans Administration, um, uh, HHS, which is, what is it, Human Services, Health and Human Services. Um, those are the primary agencies that we work with. We've done a little bit of work with the CDC um, since COVID, not as much with accessibility with them yet though. All right, well, we can, uh, you know, dig in a little bit more to, uh, you know, what, what things you're involved with today. But one of the things, the uh, main purposes of this is to uh, follow people's journeys that uh, brought them to working in accessibility today. And uh, so we could do that uh, here as well. Uh, so, uh, you know, why don't you just uh, kind of take me back in time and, and, you know, where would you like to kind of start your story of where uh, accessibility was something that you began thinking about? I'm going to go even farther back. Um, 
to my first career. I studied in Paris um, classical French cooking and I majored in pastry. I came back and worked as a professional pastry chef for many years in Washington, DC. And then I had an accident that um, ended my career. I lost about 20% of the use of my right hand and I'm right-handed. Uh, so I spent about a year as a one-handed person. So I had a little bit of an experience um, as someone with a disability. And I was lucky enough that I met my husband who um, is in IT and he got me into that. And it's actually more similar to um, cooking than you might think in that as a pastry chef, everything is very detailed, has to be exactly the right amount, the right temperature in the right order, which is a lot like development when you're coding. Um, and I was doing that for a long time and was sort of feeling like I wasn't really making a big difference in the world. And then I discovered accessibility. I discovered um, uh, Jim Thatcher's website and immediately was interested um, not only in obviously helping people, which I could certainly relate to not having a job for a year, that it's very important, at least in American society, to have a job. It sort of helps people define themselves. Um, and also that, you know, it's a, a challenge to your creativity. You have to be able to imagine how other people are going to um, experience the world. And it's a challenge to make sure that you're including everyone and, and thinking about all those different ways that people can be experiencing the world. So um, it just satisfies me on all levels. Well, you know, before you you discovered the kind of the practice or profession of accessibility, uh, you know, after you'd you'd had your accident, uh, you know, were you know what what type of uh, like resources were available to you at the time, just to you know to to be able to co cope with what must have been a you know you know very significant and, and uh, difficult adjustment. There wasn't anything. This was back in, and gosh, I'm dating myself now, um, back in 88. Um, so there wasn't really even a lot of IT around, at least not you know, on a personal computer sort of level. And there really wasn't much I could find for a one-handed person to do. Um, I couldn't teach cooking because I couldn't demonstrate it. Um, and it really, it was devastating. and I for the longest time, didn't know what to do. Um, so I, I got you know, unemployment and disability and um, did a lot of physical therapy so that I, I can sort of use a mouse, but I'm primarily a, a keyboard user. So I, I still have um, still have a disability. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so then uh, how did, you know, how did things uh, change for you in, in, in lived life and work life as you, uh, you know, just as accessibility started to uh, become a little bit more available? Um, well, it was very helpful um, once, you know, things like um, voice command software, like Dragon Naturally Speaking came out. Um, I use that if I'm going to be doing a, a lot of typing. Um, because again, um, I still only have 80% of the use of my right hand. So typing isn't 
really easy as well. So but the more I explored the different options, the more I was getting more and more excited. And then I was realizing, okay, well, you know, there's more even than voice command that you know, you have text to speech and now you have voice command like Alexa. So you don't even have to use any sort of interface other than your voice. So things are really, they're coming along and it's getting very exciting. One of my side projects is um, with XR Access, which is a nonprofit that is um, working with AR and VR and XR essentially, trying to make sure that the standards for it are gonna be inclusive, um, especially because it's so visual right now, but it can encompass all of your senses. You know, we have haptics coming and obviously there's audio as well. Um, and it's a really, really interesting group of people to be working with, to be trying to influence it. So what happened with the internet doesn't happen with uh, virtual reality as well. Because the internet just like opened up the whole world, but then if it's not accessible, it doesn't help. Well, so we had, you know, as you uh, discovered accessibility and, and started to, uh, uh, become building your your uh the it part of your career then you know what was, what was that stage like how you know how did you start you know finding your way into uh specializing in accessibility activities i was very pushy because <laughs> i knew about it and then when companies that i was working for i've been a, a consultant my entire career you know i'd start saying well does this work only with the keyboard uh, because since I'm primarily a keyboard user, it was easy for me to start harassing people about making things more accessible with the keyboard. Um, and then I was lucky enough to um, get a job for the IRS, again, as a consultant. And the person who hired me said she did it because I used to be a pastry chef because they're so detail oriented. So it was interesting how the past influenced the future. Um, and I got a lot of experience with testing um, at the IRS and also with the standards themselves, figuring out um, which ones were applicable for each contract, because all the, the um, procurement contracts had to go through the, the department there. And then you had to make sure that the right language is in there. And so I got really in, into the standards uh, before they were refreshed. Um, and then I went on from there to the FCC, did a lot more testing for them, and then finally wound up at Booz Allen Hamilton and the Department of Labor. Well, I mean, you just uh, looking at the things with the with the IRS, I mean, there you have, uh, you know, a constituency, uh, you know, of, uh, of, of, of customers or citizens or however you refer to that, that is everyone. It's about the widest demographic that it could possibly be. And so, uh, uh, you know, that uh, that must have really, uh, you know, provided a lot of weight to the work that you needed to do for that support. Yeah, yeah, it was it was fascinating, really was. Um, I didn't get to deal with, you know, the public uh, directly, but everything I did influenced that because obviously they have to buy as conformant software as possible and they have to make sure that all of their um, applications, you know, are accessible. I was there when they rolled out um, the ACA, and it was a 508 disaster. 
So uh, I was working next to some um, consultants that were trying desperately to fix that program. Um, and yeah, if, if they'd only started in the beginning with accessibility. Well, isn't that, that always the case? Uh, in, in, in so in your, in your time, uh, you know, working with the government, uh, have you found that there's been any uh, like move to like shift left to getting th accessibility involved uh, in research and design before uh, you know all the code is executed? Slowly but surely, the government does not move quickly, but they have established um, the U.S. Web Design, um, which actually the was the the 20th Century Idea Act mm -hmm. requires government agencies that are building new software to use, and it's accessible. Um, and has all the components and everything you could need. So they're working their way there. Um, the most progress I think I've made in my career is at Department of Labor. Um, when I started, there was no Section 508 program office at all. And each small agency that I, like I mentioned, sort of had their own way of doing or not doing it at all. Um, so there was no, cohesive guidance and it was um, right after the refresh had been made um, legal in that, okay, they've passed it and then you have, you know, a year in which to start conforming to it. So it was 2018. So it, it had come due that people would have to start conforming to it. Um, and so, of course, none of the agencies were even caught up to that. They were still using the old standards and um, we've come a very long way. <laughs> well, they, well, you know, something like the Department of Labor is, is is probably one of the biggest departments in the world, if you want to use the term department. I, I imagine there's there's so many different things going on. Um, does the work that you do, do you serve, you know, broadly across different activities or divisions within that? Or like, are, do, you, are, do you do consulting within or are you tied to specific uh, activities? Well, we're just growing. We formally created the department or stood up the department um, till June of last year. And we're a small team. But what we decided to do as far as um, doing in stages, start with training and awareness. If people don't know about it, they're not even going to start with it, much less you know, worry about it even at the end. Um, so our main focus has been training um, and outreach. So first, we decided to work on documentation because everybody produces documents and lots of them. So once we had established a central office and central guidance for all the agencies to follow, um, then we started in developing training um, and then a, a document accessibility program, which takes a person from nothing to actually being able to remediate a PDF. And that in includes, you know, learning about how to use color accessibly if, if you can't see color at all or if you are colorblind to how to write alt text um, so going from nothing all the way to to full-blown being able to create an accessible document and we were lucky enough to get buy-in from the secretary mm -hmm. so it 
but yeah once you have that then you're good because otherwise mm -hmm. people are like i don't feel like it <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and uh I, I know in, in a lot of organizations, uh, government and otherwise, uh, that the, the content publishing system that might be in place a lot of times ends up, uh, you know, limiting the opportunities, you know, for accessibility. Uh, you know, how does it, how did that work in, in your experience uh, at the Department of Labor? Um, they don't particularly have one. Again, it, it a lot of things are sort of diffuse. You know, one, one agency has this, another one has that, um, but they all use Microsoft Office and they all have Acrobat. So we started at the very beginning mm -hmm. and you'd be surprised how many people don't even really know how to use Word. So you're not only teaching them how to, to make it accessible in Word, you're teaching them how to use Word, which was not where I figured I would be starting. So I've had to become an expert in Word and PowerPoint <laughs> and captivate and excel and and all that just on top of, of doing accessibility um one and, thing and, yeah and so yeah i i i imagine uh, you know that had to do with uh you know making sure there's use of headings and things like that so it would carry through into the pdfs yeah. yes so styles and tables and um the hardest part is actually figuring out what is going to motivate someone and it's different for everyone. Um, so I've come up with a lot of different approaches, um, starting with analogies. And this again, will go back to my pastry chef beginnings. Um, I describe um, accessibility as the baking powder. So you can certainly make blueberry muffins. And if you forget to put the blueberries in, you can kind of throw them in at the end and mix them a little but you can't do that with baking powder. You can't add that at the end. And if it's not in there, <laughs> it's not gonna work. And that resonates actually with a lot of people um, and clicks with them enough that they remember, oh, okay, we have to do accessibility at the beginning. We can't just you know, sprinkle it on at the end. Uh, and that's really the key because you don't want to be doing remediation. That's rework. If you do it right the first time, you have a quality product, works for everybody therefore it works um and doing it at the end is just not going to work even if you can make it work it's not going to be pretty it's going to be expensive it's going to meet all those myths that there are about accessibility that you know it's hard to do and it's expensive and it's ugly it's like not if you do it in the beginning yeah. and um would you uh set up templates or, or were they open to having templates or did they do that within individual offices or is everybody pretty much just had to do the training and take care of their own little uh corner of the work we're trying to empower everyone to do their own um, we don't really have enough people to remediate everyone's documents for them and they need to be able to do them on their own um, so it's been mostly that, and we've just started expanding out into the development arena and the design arena. Um, again, because we're such a small group of people, um, we just went with documents first to, mm -hmm. uh, to yeah, make I the mean, biggest bang for the buck. <laughs> I imagine it's it's a you know big effort just to get uh, you know people to understand that the the changes really need to ma be made in that source 
document before it goes to PDF as opposed to trying to, you know, fix it later on. Definitely. Um, once you get to PDF, that format is pretty much locked down. So I love analogies. My description to people is, okay, your Word document or, or PowerPoint or whatever is like a clay sculpture. The PDF is going to be the bronze version. <laughs> so if you have to fix something, you're going to have to be melting part of that bronze statue to fix it. And that's a lot more difficult. Well, I, so uh, you, you've been working uh, in that area for a while. Uh, you know, are there any uh, certain initiatives you have uh, going on or things that you're, you're passionate about or looking forward to uh, for improvements uh, as you continue on in that area? I'm mostly looking forward to, um, to the VR and the AR. Um, that's gonna be challenging and exciting. And the most interesting part to me is that it's going to start bringing in the physical world because you're going to have to make sure you're designing things where people don't have to turn their heads or be standing or have two hands necessarily um, for those controllers. Um, and, you know, maybe they have to be able to do it to be seated. So there's a lot of, of intersection that's going to be happening that I think is going to be fascinating. Well, you know, in, being in in a in a government organization like you are, are, are you able to uh, leverage any uh, uh, activities going on in in any other parts of uh, the government departments? Are there any kind of cross departmental resources, or do you just have to make your own network connections to share ideas and things? The um, the GSA. Um has the section508.gov website. Um, and while the access board is the one that's responsible for um, creating the standards or as they did incorporating um, the web content accessibility guidelines, which are international, the, um, the GSA is uh, responsible for helping people actually implement them. So that's a great resource um, for a lot of different areas specifically government. So they have a procurement section, they have um, a development section, a training section, uh, testing and everything. So it's a really good resource. However, each agency of course likes their own spin on things. So um, it's a good base resource, but I found I've had to tailor a lot of the messaging specifically for Department of Labor. But, you know, at the, at the at the very start of our discussion, you were you were talking about uh, the you know how much uh, audio input was able to uh, you know change things for you, improve uh, your work life a bit. Uh, you know, just it it's it's expanded so much just in the past few years of what's available. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts about uh, you know that moving forward, separate from the. VR and AR space, do you, you see where it's going to continue to have more opportunities uh, for improvement or do you, do you think that the tool set is pretty much uh, optimized for what you know a mobility impairment would need right now? Um, I know that unfortunately Dragon Naturally Speaking is not supporting the, project, the product as much as they have. Um, and, and Freedom Scientific, which makes um, 
JAWS, which is a screen reader, has started incorporating, uh, incorporating um, voice commands there, which I think is very interesting. Um, just sort of like Alexa. So someone who's using a screen reader can um, say, you know, open a file and it, it will open. Um, so I like the combination of those two worlds uh, coming up. Um, and I think the whole remote work situation is really gonna open some doors for people because now your disability is invisible. You know, if you're in a wheelchair, no one's gonna see. Um, they may not know if you're using a screen reader or a screen magnifier and you, and you don't have to leave your house and you know deal with all that. Um, so I'm really, really hopeful that the remote work will open up a lot of doors for people because um, it is hard trying to get a job with a disability. I mean, some people will just look at you and assume you don't know what you're doing or, you know, so you, you get rid of some of that uh, upfront stigma. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was really fascinating insight. I'd never really thought about that. Obviously, uh, the, you know, the world has changed uh, in the past 18 months in, in how much we are doing remote work. And I'd never even thought about just the idea that the, you know, the zooming and remote work, uh, you know, has that potential to remove that stigma, as you, as you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very, very hopeful about that. Uh, people send, tend to think, you know, disability equals inability. And that is totally opposite. Most people with a disability are innovators. They have to be just to do day-to-day -day things. They have to figure out a way to do it. Um, and that's so valuable to have, you know, exposure to people who do things differently. You know, it's very important that we get that. It's been great to uh, chat with you uh, and uh, hear about your experiences uh, in this area. So I, I really appreciate you you sharing all of that, and uh, hopefully we can meet up in the real world at at, at some time. That would be terrific. Hi, I'm Joe Walensky, and as host of the Digital Accessibility Program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests. But I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink, the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. We bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers all employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help, using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, 
innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best in class design. We can move existing designs to development in a sprint. And maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X.com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our program in whatever app you use.